It was three months ago, three months ago this weekend, exactly 13 weeks ago yesterday, that little Emmeline Lucy was born, my youngest daughter. Three months ago. It feels like, especially after last night, much, much longer than three months. Um, 13 weeks. It's just amazing to, to think, you know, just that short period of time, uh, how we've had her, how much we've come to love and cherish her. But uh, as I was thinking this week and, and preparing and reading about this passage for this morning, I remember very clearly uh, driving to the hospital, just Janet and I, Driving to the hospital, the hugest flakes, snowflakes you could see. I mean, I was just was the thing I feared was a blizzard coming when we had to go to the hospital. Janet was in labor. I think it was about midnight, right? I remember it vividly. I just don't remember the time. So I think it was about midnight. We're heading to the uh, hospital, and I remember thinking, she's going into uh, labor, and I'm kind of watching. I, I'm. This is the third child, so I've got a little familiar with this. The contractions would happen, and I would mark it on the clock on the, the dashboard to see, and then wait to see when the next contractions would happen. And they're happening at like five minutes, four or five minutes apart, which is pretty close, I'm guessing. And so I was thinking, Amelia, our oldest, was uh, the labor was four hours, and Ariana's, our second, uh, her labor was two hours. So... I've taken the, the SAT and ACT, right? You would figure out the third child would be one hour, right? So I mean, we're going to get in there, one hour, we'll be done. Like we could be sleeping in our own bed. That was not the case. There were several little minor complications. And over seven hours later, Emmeline was born. But what was so fascinating to me um, in reflecting on that experience, those seven hours in the hospital, watching my wife going through this labor, um, that's really an amazing, astonishing thing to watch your wife give birth to a baby. And I was thinking, this is just something I can't do. You don't seem shocked by that. Like, you know, <laughs> this is something I just can't do. And, and that's what I couldn't, I know it's such a profound thought, but I couldn't escape that thought. I'm like, gee, this is something that is truly unique and very special for, for Janet to go through. This is unique and something special that, that uh, women can do, and I just can't do it. And I'm very grateful that I can't do, I couldn't do that. And this, with all due respect to uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie Junior, we've not been able to have men have babies. It's just not possible. Um, with all of the technological advancements, that's just one thing. And again, this highlights the differences between men and women, the uniqueness, the unique way that God has made us. We're in a, a series right now on our belief statement, and we've been going through, there's 13 paragraphs. We've been going through kind of paragraph at a time. We've been spending a few weeks on this paragraph, and this one is on the creation of humanity, and uh, we're going to read, this is the third part of that, and uh, I would like to read the, uh, the last, the ending part, the concluding lines of our paragraph on the creation of humanity. You don't, have to, you don't have to read out loud, but if you would follow along. They're in your handout. Uh, it's at the top of your handout. And it's also on the screen. 
Again, emphasizing uniqueness and difference that uh, men and women and husbands and wives are. So I'll read. In God's wise purposes, men and women are not simply interchangeable, but rather they complement each other in mutually enriching ways. God ordains that they assume distinctive roles which reflect the loving relationship between Christ and the church. The husband exercising headship in a way that displays the caring, sacrificial love of Christ and the wife submitting to her husband in a way that models the love of the church for her Lord. In the ministry of the church, both men and women are encouraged to serve Christ and to be developed to their full potential in the manifold ministries of the people of God. The distinctive leadership role within the church given to qualified men is grounded in creation, fall, and redemption and must not be sidelined by appeals to cultural developments. This morning, we're going to spend our time in a paragraph that hits to the right to the heart uh, of uh, this paragraph that I just read. And I referenced this, uh, this, para- this uh, passage a few weeks ago, um, but today we're going to spend a little bit more time digging into this passage. And this is in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you do not have a Bible, um, raise your hand. We have some uh, pew Bibles in the back. We have pew Bibles, no pews, but they still work. should say chair Bibles. Steve will be able to hand those out if you just hold your hand up. And if you don't have a Bible at all, we actually have Bibles that we could give you as well. So uh, if you don't have a Bible at home or um, maybe it's like a really old one and it's the family one that's really super huge and you're like, it would be nice to have like a normal size Bible, we would be glad to give you one. Just come up and see us afterward. So this is Ephesians chapter 5. This is a very familiar passage. And, you know, as the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. Um, I hope that we can actually read this passage in a very fresh way today and to see it with new eyes and to hear it anew. And that's we can move from familiarity to uh, unfamiliarity, familiarity and unfamiliarity back to familiarity again uh, and move from content to uh, embracing and, and loving what God's word teaches us here. But a couple points I want to make, and you can follow along in your head out. The very first part is um, typically when you see instructions to husbands and wives, it begins in, in verse 22, right? Does your Bible have a heading? What does the heading say? Wives and husbands, right. And so it's right there after, right before verse 22. Um, those headings are not inspired scripture. So... Um, so it, sometimes we, we go and we read these and we see a heading and we jump down to this heading and we read there. But that's kind of unfortunate because actually um, this passage must be seen in light of the whole instruction to the whole church. Grammatically, this whole passage actually begins in verse 15. So have your eyes go past that little heading there. Go back up to verse 15 because it's important to read the whole context in which these instructions for wives and husbands are given. Section begins in, uh, in 15 and extends all the way into chapter 6. So he starts with instructions to the whole church. He addresses everyone, in diff- and then he moves on to different segments. He says wives here in verse 22, husbands in verse 25. In chapter 6, he then addresses children. And then uh, also after that, he addresses fathers. 
and then slaves and masters. And so the commands to these different segments of the church need to be seen in light of the whole. This is all starts in verse 15. So let's read along here in verse 15 of chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that leads for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife See that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord. Very good. We should do that every time we read scripture, right? So I read a passage of scripture. Someone reads a passage of scripture and we say, this is the word of the Lord. And we all say, thanks be to God. I think that's great. So seeing this passage, we need to understand how it begins in verses 15 through 21. And there are a string of commands. There's five commands. And it's on the screen there as well, too. And the commands are this. Look carefully. Then how you walk. That's a way of saying how you live your life. Be very careful. Have your eyes open. Watch how you walk. Watch how you live your life. That's one command. Look careful. The second one is uh, in the negative. Do not be foolish. And the next command is parallels this. But understand what the Lord's will is. So look carefully. Do not be foolish, but understand. And then he has another pair of commands as well, too. Do not get drunk, which is debauchery. Do not get drunk on wine, which is debauchery. And the positive counterpart to that is be filled with the Spirit. So there's a string. So those are the commands. But then there's a string of uh, descriptors to describe what these commands would entail. So being careful how you live, uh, 
understanding what the Lord's will, being filled with the Spirit, there's six descriptive phrases or verbal adjectives, we would say. And those are making the best use of time or redeeming the time, buying back the time, addressing one another, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks. And the last one is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So those are the addressing everyone. It's addressing the whole church. That's helpful for us to see that because all of these other commands are, uh, the other instructions are given in light of what is supposed to happen in the whole church. Making the most of your time, addressing one another, singing, making melody in your hearts, giving thanks and submitting to one another. Now, Paul moves on from there to instructions specifically to wives and husbands. First, the wives. Verse 22 begins with the word wives. This is his address. He's addressing the wives. This is giving instructions directly to the women. So notice what's not being said here. It's not saying, oh, and uh, husbands, pass this on to your wives. No, Paul, God addresses wives in the scriptures as morally responsible beings. Perfectly capable of being addressed directly by God. So he says, wives, and then what it actually says is wives to your husbands as to the Lord. It's actually borrowing the submitting the last um, verbal adjective in that statement. So you think through that statement, um, making the best use of your time, addressing one another, singing, making melody in your hearts, submitting or giving thanks, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says wives to your husbands as to the Lord. And this is, by the way, not a command. I mean, in the Greek sense, it's not a command. This is saying this is the outworking of being filled with the Spirit. So wives, submit to your husbands. And it says, not to your husband, it says to your own husbands. Not all women submit to all men. This is wives, submit to your own husbands. But what does submit mean? Sometimes this seems like a very kind of scary term. Submit. Like it involves coercion or domineering or force or intimidation. Um, that's not the idea behind the term. Submitting by its very nature, by its very definition, is voluntary. It's surrendering oneself, submitting oneself. So wives are to voluntarily surrender and submit themselves to their husbands. And he gives the reason why, the motivation for it, as to the Lord. So wives, as you would submit to Christ, that posture, that attitude is the similar attitude you're to have with your husbands. Now, this is not saying that husbands are like the Lord in any way. That kind of misses the point completely. It just speaks to the posture of wives to their husbands. It's the same thing that uh, it's used in the same sense back in verse 21. Look at what it says in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So why submit? You submit out of reverence for Christ. Why submit? You submit as to the Lord. So that's the instructions to wives in verse 21. Here's the reason, verse 23. For... The husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Okay, now what does head mean? This means uh, the one who's responsible. There's, don't want to use military language like a chain of command, but there's kind of that sense a little bit as well, too. Husbands are responsible to God for their wives. That's what this means. And it parallels the way Christ is responsible for the church. Look, it says, husband is the head of the wife as Jesus Christ is the head of his church, of the church, his body. So it's Christ is responsible for his church. The same way husbands are responsible for wives. And we'll get to this, what that means for husbands here in a, in a moment. So we've moved from the instruction. Wives, submitting to your husbands as to the Lord. And the reason for the husband is the head of the wife is Christ is the head of his body and is himself its savior. And then he closes with an illustration and an application. Now, as the church submits to Christ, this is verse 24, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That's the instruction. That's the instruction to to wives. We're going to come to the end where we'll be able to reflect on this a little bit more. But that's it. Three verses. In the Greek, it's 40 words. Three verses, 40 words. Let's move on to husbands who get nine verses. Verses 25 through 33. And 150 words in the Greek. Four times as long. So let's look at the responsibility to husbands. Don't you think that's wow? I mean, I was just thinking 40, 40 words, wives, 40 words. Husbands, 150 words. I just think that's, uh, I think that's pretty interesting. So, husbands, listen up. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. I mentioned that the wives submitting to your husbands wasn't a command. This is a command in the Greek. This is an imperative. Husbands, love your wives. Notice as well, too, when the wives are told to submit to their husbands, the opposite isn't true for the husbands. So it's not wives submit to your husbands and husbands rule over and dominate your wives. Right? That's not what it's saying. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands Love your wives. The same thing carries through in the other pairs that happen in chapter 6. Children, obey your parents. But it doesn't address the parents and say, now parents, boss your kids around. Unfortunately, right? (laughs) Some of the parents laughed like, that's a bummer. Um, (laughs) No, it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. See how they're not the inverse same thing for slaves. Slaves obey your masters, and masters care for your slaves. See the peril, See how they're different instructions. But the command, nevertheless, for husbands is love the, your wives. And then he gives an illustration for why. As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love his church, the bride? 
He gave himself up for her. Everywhere that phrase occurs in the New Testament, it refers to the cross. It's pointing to the sacrificial death of Jesus on behalf of his church. That's our model, gentlemen, husbands. And by the way, just because this is dressing husbands and wives, uh, don't think I need to tune out and ignore this. You're, many of you who are, may, are not married, maybe get married one day and think about what these passages are saying, what they have to say. The writer of Hebrews says that the marriage bed should be honored by all, not all married people. I think the same thing is true for all of us here. All of us, kids included, think about these things. Think about what it means to be husband and wife, even if you aren't yet. So Christ, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loves sacrificially and he loves sensitively. In other words, this is for her good, for her flourishing. Paul goes on and gives a whole bunch of uh, uh, further descriptions of the work that Christ does on behalf of his church. Now, these are describing the work that Christ does for his church, not necessarily what husbands are to do for their wives. We'll get to that in a second. But look at what it says in verses 26 through 27, that he might sanctify her. This is borrowing like Old Testament language, you know, of coming into the presence of God. You needed to be sanctified. You had to be washed and cleansed. It continues on. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The third one. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. The idea and imagery here is of a bride on her wedding day. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. All of this is describing the work of salvation on the cross. This is what Jesus does for his church. And this conveys the idea of what husbands are to do for their wives. Love them sacrificially and love them sensitively for their flourishing Back in 23, we talked to verse 23, we talked about headship. Wives, uh, submit to your husbands, Mr. Christ. For your husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. This is what headship looks like. Sacrificial, sensitive love for your wife. And then this is how it's applied. Verses 28 through 32. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives. So in other words, just, just as Jesus does this for his bride, the church, husbands should love their wives, repeating what's in verse 25, the command to love their wives, as their own bodies. This is hearkening back to Genesis chapter 2. We talked about this several weeks ago. When, uh, when, the Lord saw that it wasn't good for the man to be alone, and so he caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, which shows that there was football back in the garden, Sunday football. And 
He takes a portion of his side and fashions the woman and presents the woman to her. And the very first recorded human words ever spoken that we have recorded is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So when Paul is saying, love your wives as your own bodies, he's not kidding. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies, bone of your bone. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies, flesh of your flesh. That's the idea, the image that's brought behind what Paul is saying here. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. And then he gives a couple of illustrations here. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, now Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, one flesh. This is your body. This is the application for a husband's love. Love your wives as your own body. And then as the verse we looked at several weeks ago, the implications for marriage on the message of the gospel. Paul says this in verse 32. This mystery, this whole thing, man and woman, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, one person, one flesh, one body. This is, this is profound, a profound mystery. But he says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a microcosm of the story of redemption that God is accomplishing through Christ. Right? So all of this, husbands and wives, this is all of these instructions are grounded in the good news of Jesus Christ. God made mankind in his image, male and female, to love, to worship, to serve him, to reflect him, to be his image bearers. But we all, like our very first parents, have chosen to sin against God, to reject him, to turn away from him, to alter the entire created order. And we're, for that reason, deserving of wrath, deserving of punishment, deserving of judgment. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made it possible that we, even though we're children of wrath, Paul says, or enemies of God, he opened the door for forgiveness, for restoration, reconciliation, through repentance and faith in what Jesus has done. Taking what we deserve and giving us what we don't deserve, abundant life now and eternal life with him forever and ever. That's the good news. This is the mystery. God has actually formed a people to make him into his bride. And the two become one flesh. This is a mystery. And Paul says, this, this is profound. 
And then he wraps up with these responsibilities. Marriage is a microcosm of the story of God's redemption, which is why it's to be honored by all. Paul ends his instructions in verse 33. However, let each one of you, that is husbands, love another command. There's another command. Husbands, love, each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A couple of reflections. Actually, a couple of questions. Um, I had a conversation a while back with um, someone who has a daughter of uh, marriable age. And um, the uh, thinking, thinking about marriage and thinking about what the Bible has to say about men and women and husbands and wives and, and marriage. And um, this, this friend was relaying something that the daughter had said and that the daughter had said, referring to this passage in Ephesians 5, the daughter had said, I just kind of have a problem with that whole submission thing. And so we talked about it. That's understandable. It certainly runs kind of counter to our culture. Um, but as we got to talking about it, what I kind of asked, some questions I asked that could be relayed back, hopefully, was um, when you understand the whole scope of what this passage is saying, back from verse 15 all the way through, viewing the instructions to husbands and wives together, Seeing them, by the way, every place in the New Testament where they address wives, they also address husbands. It's very unfortunate. Sometimes we tend to look at it almost like with a microscope and we, see, we focus on one instead of seeing the whole picture of what God was giving instructions to us for. So I said, when you understand the whole scope of the passage, viewing the instructions to wives and husbands together and how that manifests itself out of the being filled with the Spirit, do you still have a problem with it? Do you have a problem with the analogy that's used? Wives, submit to your husband. As the church submits to Christ, do you have a problem with the church submitting to Christ? How does the church submit to Christ? Joyfully, willingly, voluntarily, I'd also ask, do you have a problem with the parallel instructions to the husband? If you have a problem with, I have a problem with the submission thing, then maybe ask, would you have a problem with the instructions to husbands to love you as Christ loved the church? These teachings may seem hard, but all the teaching in the Bible is hard. Right? All of it runs counter to our sin nature. But God is saying this is, this is the ideal. This is what is supposed to happen. This is who we are supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to do. But keep in mind what Christ has done for you. Keep the mystery of Christ and his bride, the church, at the forefront of your minds when you're understanding marriage, husbands, wives, relationship. This is God's word and it is written for our good. Now to the men, I'd have a couple of questions. 
God's word commands us, love your wives. And I would add, remember that love is not like a warm, fuzzy feeling. Um, it's no butterflies in your stomach. I mean, if you, do, if you have that, that's great. There's no, there's no problem with that. I get those from time to time, too. Where's Janet? There she is. Okay. That's a good thing. Um, but when you understand the description of love here and what it's paired up with in this passage, um, love is an action. It manifests itself in these deeds. We are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So the question is, did Christ go to the cross because of butterflies in the stomach? Did Christ go to the cross um, because of warm, fuzzy feelings and endure pain for warm, fuzzy feelings? No, love, its very nature is sacrificial. Loving sacrificially and sensitively. So a couple of questions. Wives, excuse me, we are done with wives. Husbands, have you sacrificed yourself for your wife and for your wife's good? What do you need to do to sacrifice for your wife's flourishing? How do you sensitively give of yourself for building up your wife. This is hard. This is a hard thing. But Christ has modeled this for us. So, husbands, you could say this. Maybe you could write this on your piece of paper. I wrote this down years ago when I first studied this passage in college. Um, and I wrote all of these things down of how I, I was already thinking through, even before I was married, before I met Janet, I was thinking through, how do I want to be this kind of husband, to be a biblical husband? So I wrote down my name, and I wrote, love, blank. It's got Janet in there now. I wrote Janet in there now. But, but at the time, it was blank. So Aaron, love, blank, as Christ loved me. Haven't been perfect. But all of us, husbands, can strive to that. And I would end by saying, this is God's word. It's for our good. Amen? Amen. Just stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we are truly, again, grateful for your scriptures. I still never cease to be amazed that um, these words penned over 2,000 years ago are so applicable to us today. You truly are a God who speaks. And you are concerned about us and our well-being, and we thank you for your words. They are good, and we can trust them. 
God, these instructions um, are not difficult to understand. What you've spoken is pretty clear. The difficulty comes in that they're hard to do. But God, we ask that you fill us with your spirit, that we are very careful about how we live our lives, that we do not be foolish, that we understand what your will is, that we be filled with your spirit, and that we, everyone here at Redeemer, will be submitting to one another, ordering ourselves in a proper relationships, and that that manifests itself in our marriages as well, too. We pray and lift up for the wives and husbands to follow the instructions that you give us for our good. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. I uh, want to remind you to sign up for Fourth Family Feast. The offering box is painted. The, uh, the painted offering box is in the back on the table as well. And now may the grace of God and the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.